This is episode 6-2 of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Coon. This is Free as in Freedom. Previously on Free as in Freedom. Bradley and Karen share their deepest, darkest secrets, the proprietary software they used, and why. Yeah, maybe we should get Dan to like cut in little bits of the previously. That's a lot of work for him, though. <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. He may hear this. I mean, you know, Dan sometimes hears some, uh, producer Dan, the, you know, the silent, but not for Dan long. Lynch. Dan Lynch. But he won't be silent for long. We're going to have Dan Lynch live soon. That's coming up in future. Yeah, because we're going to see it at Fosdem and we're going to record something. We are going to record at Fosdem. We already, we already, we planned this, Karen. We did? We had that conversation email. Anyway, <laughs> so, so producer Dan will soon be, of course, many of our listeners have heard producer Dan as he hosts other podcasts and so forth. He's only been silent here on Faith all these years. But, uh, yeah, occasionally he does like, uh, little things like the, a couple episodes ago, he did the little drum, uh, like a uh, rim shot at the end. You know, so he'll add, he'll add a little goofy little things uh, for us. So he may hear this and decide to like cut together a previously on, but we're not asking for that. We no, want to be definitely not. We want to be as low effort for Dan Lynch as possible. We deeply appreciate his work. All also, we have to embed communications with Dan because, like, I send him really terse emails about <laughs> editing the show, and so he actually listens to it to get. It's pretty funny. Anyway, so previously we did free as in freedom, right? So we're we're this is a three a three episode arc. You know, we have a three episode arc. Absolutely, there's a four episode arc now. It's a long arc. Anyway, the arc is preparing this Fosdem keynote that you're all going to eventually hear at the, the well, then we'll have a show with yeah, the actual Yeah, and I think keynote. actually the keynote will be substantially different than what the, what we've been talking about here. Or, well, it will be presented very differently. Right. And we're, we're trying to put uh, together all the material between us that, because we talked about on the first uh, show in this arc about how it is tougher to do a talk together because we have to sort of make sure that we have all our, mental notes aligned with each other and we know what we're talking about. And so one of the other things that we alluded to on the previous show was the issue of using proprietary software on behalf of other people. Yeah. We've thought about this a lot. Um, and it's something that's really troubled us. We've had this expression that we sometimes use when we're talking, Bradley's making a face. He may not want me to share this example, but, uh, but we, with other people, sometimes when, there's someone who is using proprietary software on behalf of other people. We sometimes joke and call it being a Shabbos goy. And, uh, and I, I was raised Jewish. And, um, and what, what this means is that on, on Shabbat, on Shabbos, you generally don't use any electronic equipment and you don't, um, you, it's a day of rest. So there's a lot of things. And the you're reason not is because you're not supposed to do work, right? You're not supposed to re- work. You're supposed to do rest. You're supposed to, like the, anyway, the, the, but rest and but, worship, I guess. Right. But, but, time. but some Jewish people believe that it's okay if you've paid somebody who is not Jewish to take care of some of the things on that day, um, because they don't believe in their religion and therefore, um, they can do those things for you, even though you wouldn't do them for yourself. And people have very mixed feelings about whether that is an appropriate thing to do or not. And, and isn't the tradition usually to pay them before? Yes, because you you're not supposed, you're not, to, you're you not supposed pay to do for anything. business right, you can't, transactions right. on that day. Exactly. So, so you have to pay them before or after. Right. And there are some people who have, um, who have people who are, you know, paid regularly, and this mm-hmm. is something they do every time. And so someone who is not Jewish can, for example, come in and turn the lights on for you. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of call this the, the Shabbos. Go- I don't think we should talk about this necessarily in this, the, 
Fosdem talk because right. it's so long to explain the context. Right. Um, and, I worry that it might. And it's your. It's from. It's actually. from your culture. It's. Uh, I mean, I've yeah. learned it from knowing, knowing, knowing you and and others who were raised in in uh, a Jewish uh, household and culture. Uh, it was new to me uh, because I was raised in a Roman Catholic right. uh, household and culture. And so but, we are often when we're in groups of people and someone wants someone offers to use their proprietary software on behalf of the group of people or a few people who are not interested in using proprietary software. They'll say, "Oh, I'll be." your Shabbos Goy. Right. And this is a joke that we have amongst software freedom activists generally. And the, the, the concern that I have with it, and actually I've, I've noticed this more since uh, since I'm using this tablet and so I'm I'm doing it on behalf of Karen. Like the, the, the whole the whole idea of letting somebody do that on your behalf, uh, the, the issue with it is is if you believe fundamentally as as and it's a joke to compare it to a religion because people accuse free software as zealots uh, like us of being religious about it i don't think we are religious about it i think i'm very pragmatic and and, and more, i would say i'm moral I, about it i think the whole point of these episodes and the fosdem talk is mm-hmm. to show how we're we're not you know we're we're very pragmatic about the choices that we make and we right. have we have to continue being so if we if we expect to make a difference for free software right and i think i think the reason the 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 religious joke has relevance and resonance with the situation is because if you really believe as i do that using proprietary software is an affront on the user that basically proprietary software is a tool to basically mistreat users and it mistreats users in a variety of ways. It doesn't allow them to improve the software and fix bugs on their own, but it also can be used to do spying, tracking, uh, data gathering on you that you cannot remove from the software because it's proprietary. So it's, so it's like, like, well, even if I wanted to remove it, I can't because it's proprietary. And so if you think those things, which I do, I've begun to get, become less comfortable and I'm almost more willing to use this tablet if I know I'm going to be going to a place where there's going to be a lot, not like a conference where a lot of people are not from the area. Nobody knows how to go anywhere, which is very common at conferences. It happened to us at LCA recently. Um, it doesn't happen to me at FOSDEM anymore because we all know Brussels so well after all the years of FOSDEM being in the same place. Uh, but in places where it's the first time you've been there, everybody's in this situation. And so somebody ends up using proprietary software. It, not it, on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, but well, you try, you try, that but happens. eventually that happens. And if yeah, you're asking, if you're ultimately asking somebody to do it, you're, you're basically saying like, I, it's almost, I feel I've come to the conclusion. It took me a while to get to here, but I feel like I'm basically, I'm better than you. Like somehow you, your rights should be trampled upon for my convenience. Yeah. I think it's disgusting. It's like either, either you don't understand that this is something important or your needs are not as valuable as my needs. It's one or the other. And either right. way, it's incredibly insulting to the person that you're asking right. to do it. Right. So somebody using, for example, I, I know people who view themselves as software freedom activists. I don't want to just sort of like call people out. So, no. so I won't say who it is, but I know people who will be like, well, I'll, you know, they're, they're comfortable like asking somebody to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot for them to get on the network. Um, but they would never do that themselves because they wouldn't use a proprietary device that you often have to use, like proprietary mobile phone, uh, a baseband firmware that yes. you have to use to make that work. Just because you don't touch it doesn't mean you didn't set that in motion. That proprietary software use is on you. Right. And you should own it if that's what you're doing. Right. And so- it is reprehensible to make somebody else do something, use proprietary software or do something that you consider wrong or immoral right. for you, for and your so- benefit. 
And so when I, when I ask somebody, because I don't have proprietary software, when I ask somebody, I actually have this conversation now. I say, well, you know, I need to get, do you have a network? Um, you know, I, I hate to ask you to use proprietary software, but mine, my phone doesn't work because my phone is old because of the reasons that we've discussed in previous episodes. You, can your phone get on the network right now? And is that okay? You know, and they're usually willing to do it, but I, I don't feel like I, I'm not trying to, Basically, you, offload my proprietary you use. You only onto ask them. when you absolutely need it. You're apologetic. You feel badly about it. Well, okay. and yeah, and I actually use it as an opportunity to be like, I feel, I feel it's bad for me to ask you this question. And people are usually very accommodating and want to do it, or sometimes they're just offering outright. But I think, I think that we have to realize that this, this whole idea of letting proprietary software be contained, and, and this comes up with the proprietary JavaScript thing, because there are some solutions out there proposed that say, well, let's just use less proprietary JavaScript and push things more server-side, right? And there's actually people who are arguing for that, and I think that that doesn't make any sense either. No, it's the same argument as there are organizations that are trying to limit their proprietary software usage who right. will hire outside firms when they know that those outside firms are using a ton of proprietary software. And that brings us right to what we do at conservancies. Here's a great example. So one of the things we've done at conservancies, we're using proprietary software every day. We have to admit that to keep conservancy running. And and I, I think that we've made really good choices about how to do it. But And here's the reason why. Here's a great example. So um, we have to get an annual audit and... That's something that all charities really need to do. It's not necessarily mandatory all the time, depending on the jurisdiction you're incorporated and so forth, but it's highly recommended for all charities because it shows that your finances have been looked at by a third party, a neutral third party who's looked at your books and verified that you're not, you know, yeah. stealing money, for example. It is required um, for us because it's a New York requirement. Yeah, it's complicated. I, I, I think it's, it may or may not be required for us uh, some years, uh, the right, goodbye, right, right, right. but we do it every year because we think it's good and that we have this interesting choice we have every year. So the, for tax filing, any tax filing, be it a charitable one or a non-charitable one, there's plenty of proprietary software. And actually the IRS, I actually tried once, uh, I never talked about this in the podcast. I should have, um, at the suggestion of a listener actually who works for the IRS encouraged me to apply to be on the committee that decides All about right. technology for IRS. I did not, I was not selected for the committee. They renew the committee every 10 years. I'm going to try again when it happens. Uh, but, uh, the, 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 there's this committee of companies like Intuit and other such proprietary software companies all basically are a cartel that get the licenses, not licenses, but get kind of the um, direct access to the hookups with the IRS to do um, online tax filings or, or do, or, you know, do computerized tax filings. And our auditors, of course, have that for us and they can do our tax filing for us. And a lot of charities just let their auditors do it. And of course, their auditors are using proprietary software on their behalf when they do that. We've made the decision. We actually fell out the Form 990 with events every year, which means a lot of uh, Karen actually this year was checking my numbers because if you don't use software to do it, if you're just using a fillable PDF, there are places where this number must match this number and you're supposed to copy it over and you can make a transposition error <laughs> when you copy it over. So we have this whole checklist we go through to check to make sure all the numbers match. Karen was the one who did that this year. Um, our treasurer, Martin, has done it in some previous years. I do it some years to, to double check. And that's much more work. And we made a decision, well, we're going to do that extra work so that we don't have to ask anybody to use proprietary software. But then in other cases, for example, the banking, we made the decision to use proprietary software. Yeah, because at some point, uh, we are a tiny organization. We have a very small staff. And if we were to have to go to the bank every time we needed to conduct business, do a transaction, we do a tremendous number of transactions at Conservancy. Right. And so a great example is I recently did all the first round payments for the outreachy program for this particular 2018-12 uh, round of outreachy interns. 
And to send the wires, you, you can actually go into a branch bank and you can send the wires. And that all works. You can do that. You, you can, can fill do out the forms and paper. Phone or email, but then sort that's of. so insecure. Right. It's insecure, A. But B, also, when you do it by email, like you, you end up even more cut and pasting because you send, you have to cut and paste in the emails and then they cut and paste into that. And basically they told us to stop emailing our wires in. Um, that was a long time ago. It was actually even before you were from Conservancy Care. And they were really like, you need to start using the corporate online system because we're sick of this. And, yeah. and actually the funny part was, is the only, I, I, for those, for the domestic wires, I used to have to fill out a Vince PDF. Actually, Vince didn't have, it wasn't a fillable PDF. I used Flipsid and other um, editing tools to insert the text into of all the wire things. I had to send that. It had to be signed by me. So I would insert mm. my digital signature, like my signature digitally, and then email it to them. <laughs> and then they would approve it and then so forth. I mean, it actually used to take me about probably just doing that, which was just with the form without the corporate online system. That took me probably like 15 to 20 minutes a wire basically to get to get it all set up get cut and paste and so forth now it takes me two to two to four minutes per wire for domestic and so probably pretty much very similar for international international they used to let us email but uh but it was still was a lot of cut and paste and stuff but where we won't compromise is we won't adopt systems that require other people who are interacting with us to use proprietary software if we can possibly avoid it so we won't sign on to systems that will make those payments a little bit easier if it means that the people we're paying, like outreach interns, have to use proprietary software in order to take payment. Right. And I think that's a really interesting line uh, because there are other systems we could use that would force you know people to do a sign up with them and agree to a terms of service and agree to use proprietary JavaScript to collect their payments. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of a, we, we've kind of incorporated that. So we have, we have two interesting rules that we use at Conservancy. Uh, one of them is, is we never require a staffer to use proprietary software. Right? It's opt in for all staffers. Now that's a little bit, uh, I, we admit to some extent that that rule is disingenuous because I, especially for me as a Conservancy employee, because I do a lot of the banking in the end for Conservancy. And like my choices are, I could tell Karen tomorrow, I'm never going to do proprietary software wires again. And then I basically be telling her my entire entire job is going to be processing wire payments now. I'm going to go to the bank every day for like well, four hours. Well, either that or, <laughs> or you would have me doing it, which I'm I'm executive director. I'm willing to do. It's one of those things where if you have nobody on your staff who can do the job, it becomes your job, right? Yeah. And I've had that conversation with other staff members where I've said, I know that this involves proprietary software. And if this is something, you know, you, we need to do, then, you know, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, I will take on that work. And then we just have the discussion and then somebody does it. And we are sad that we have to use proprietary software to do that, but it gets the job done. We have to do the thing. Right. And the, well, the other thing that we do is, is actually, I'm actually much more comfortable with this in, in these days. I, it really bothered me for a long time using all this proprietary JavaScript to do the banking until Karen actually pointed out to me. Uh, do you want to explain what you pointed out to me? About, I don't remember what I pointed about, out to about you. About the, about the projects not having to use it then. Right. So we as a fiscal sponsor, uh, Karen, Karen looks like she doesn't remember. So I'll explain that she'll remember immediately that she was the one who came up with pointed this out. Well, so we as a fiscal sponsor, like we have projects joining us becoming part of conservancy and we're taking, doing services for them. Well, if they did that for themselves, they would all be using this That's proprietary right. software. And so we're actually, it's kind of the reverse of the other thing we were talking about earlier, where you, you get somebody to use proprietary software on your behalf. We're volunteering to use proprietary software for our projects, knowing that now we're like a barrier. So they don't actually have to touch that proprietary software yes, that we're using. Yes, it's funny. We care so much about software freedom that we would rather use the software freedom than to force somebody else or to do it. lose the software freedom, you mean? 
It's not like you said use. You mean we would rather lose the yes, software sorry, freedom. Sorry, we would rather use proprietary software right, yeah. than have somebody else lose their software freedom. So, you know, it's it's funny. It's just and it and it and it and it's in some ways sounds counterintuitive, but this is something that we've come back to again and again in an ideological way. That we have to be increasing the software freedom in our community and in our ecosystem, not the other way around, not pushing out, you know, pushing out tasks that we can't complete um, and requiring other people to use proprietary software to do them. Right. So, so, you know, it's, it's kind of the, I, 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 you know, I struggle with this constantly. I, I, I feel like real true anxiety as yeah. things get worse, the more proprietary software. And, and it, it really makes me anxious to see how easily I was able to drift into getting comfortable with it. Um, I really can't imagine doing the banking without the proprietary JavaScript. Uh, and, and if we were a bigger organization, it might be easier. We could hire someone to go to the bank, but we are so small. We don't have those resources. But, but Either be, we do the work or we don't. We don't, we don't have that luxury. But when I look at that from a donor side, like I would even say as a donor, like, just hire somebody to use the proprietary JavaScript already, right? Why am I, why am I donating you to pay somebody to go to the bank all day, right? That's nobody does that anymore because we have these systems. And so from a donor perspective, like it's really difficult. And it's this weird thing where we're, we're, I hope someday in our society we'll look back at these situations and say, Wow, we, we asked people, we demanded people use proprietary software to interact with our businesses in the world. Like, it's just, it's so similar to how I felt when I was first a vegetarian. And I, I've, I told the story recently, uh, uh, at a, at a conference, uh, over dinner that, that I, cause somebody asked me what year I became a vegetarian. I remember exactly. It was 1992. And the reason I remember exactly was 1992 is my first year of college. It wasn't an option. So for my, when I was a kid, when I was under 18, my parents didn't allow me to become a vegetarian because they said you'd have to cook everything yourself. And then they forbid me to use the kitchen. So it was this weird thing where I was like, well, I had no choice. So I was uh, underage and had no choice. But when I went to college, I was like, yes, I can become a vegetarian, but I couldn't the first year because I was on the meal plan. And I went and there was no, there was nothing to eat. The first day I went and tried to select vegetarian items at the buffet, like there was no main dish, right? I could get the side of, like eat a giant place side of carrots for dinner or I could eat the meatloaf. And like, now no one would imagine having a university anywhere, I think, that didn't offer dietary choices uh, for, for people today. But in 1992 or 1991, when this was, there was no choice. I was basically, okay, that I'm on the meal plan. It's so I'm baffling stuck. to me because everywhere I went, there were, that was already. Even in 91? Yeah. Well, you're also from the north and I'm almost from the south because I'm from yeah, Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, I guess Maryland. that's probably true. But well, 91, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, so, you know. And, and so, and so <laughs> that, you know, having lived through that, I feel a lot very similar to that now where it, it just feels like it, it, people used to look at me strange when I was a vegetarian when you said they don't, that doesn't happen anymore. Like they don't people look at people strange and they say they're vegan. Yeah, I look forward to the day where where that's the case for proprietary software. And it could be generations at this point, but but that's that's I f I have that same feeling of like I might as well just eat meat, right? That's how I felt my whole first year of college. Like it's, it, this is going to be such a fight. Like I just and I focused on just trying to get off the meal plan. And and this is the thing about being a purist is that you know. Almost no one can be a purist. You can only be a purist if you have someone who's taking care of a lot of the critical things that you need for your life. If, unless you're like off the grid. Like, I mean, and then, and, yeah, and I've thought about simple. that. Like I've been like, I've been like, I realize I don't have an assistant, so right. I have to book my own flights. And the thing is, is that if I, I thought about the going off the, I was jumping on the going off the grid thing, right? I thought about like going off the grid 
and like becoming a true Luddite, you know, go out in, you know, a cabin. I live in, I live in Portland, Oregon, so I can move out to the Oregon woods somewhere and like be self-sufficient and start a farm. But I actually realized like that's, that, that's actually the easy way out. As hard as a what? self-sufficient, li- it's the easy way out because it, it makes sure everything's okay for you. All right. And it says everybody else, well, everybody else, you go figure all this technology mess out. I'm going to go yeah. live in the woods, and right? And that's exactly the role that conservancy, you know, is, is playing is to help the situation, not to retreat from the situation. Right. Exactly. And, and, and I feel like, I feel like this whole, the whole reaction of let's just, let's just, you know, you know, stand firm and refuse. It, it just doesn't work anymore because modern society has become a software-driven society. It worked. I think it worked. I think. It, I think in the the one of the reasons the golden age was the golden age, and one of the reasons the dark ages we have now are the dark ages was because using computing was not. A, a mandatory operation in life. You know, we're at a point now, like, it's kind of like public transit, right? If, if you, if you live in the industrialized world, uh, I'm sorry for those of us, those of you who are US American listeners who have never, maybe never done public transit, you should know how to operate and ride on public transit and you need to, right? That's something that you need to do to be. Well, a, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to right. get to public transit. So. Right. Understood. But, but if you, you should know how to use it and you I need mean, to you be prepared be, like, to use it. Saying everyone should be required to travel. No, no, no. What I'm saying is everybody should be able to use public transit, right? It's just the thing that you should be able to do, right? If you are anywhere near where there is public transit. Okay. Well, maybe a better example. Okay. Everybody should know how to prepare food, right? You need to know how to mm-hmm. prepare food. You can't live, you can't go through life expecting everybody to cook your meals for you. Right, right. And so this ties that into- That's a better example. Right. Yeah, prepare food, right? So right. everybody has to learn at some point in their life how to prepare food. You just, it's, it's something that we expect from people in, in, in society, in modern society. Mm-hmm. And propriety, using software is now something everybody's expected to be able to do. You, you, and, and it's, and, the, and it wouldn't be so problematic if the software weren't spying on you, weren't right. Right. proprietary, well, et cetera. Right. And if, it, if you, it's, it, you'd be hard pressed to cook a meal without using some proprietary software in most kitchens. So is, is that is that accurate now? Okay. I mean, if you're going to use a microwave, if you're going to use an oven, I, my oven doesn't have any proprietary software, but that's only because it's a very ancient oven. Yeah. You can't. I mean, I, I guess you can probably. Most plumbing does not mm. necessarily have proprietary software now, yeah, yeah. but but your refrigerator. Many of them have. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, my refrigerator is not more. digital. But yeah, but that's I mean that and so, that's the danger of the internet of, of and things. And I think probably mo- most have some even even non connected refrigerators have some software in them. Yeah. Um, and and so and so we we yeah. And I would just want to interject that my 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 Linux Conf Australia talk, which maybe we'll talk on another episode, uh, was about sort of you know whether where there's appreciable consent and whether people are understanding that they're making these choices it doesn't matter if you clearly explain to them the choices they're making if there's no alternative it's not a meaningful that the consent is can never be meaningful okay. if there's no way to do the thing as you say be there's no way to really be off the grid in an ordinary transaction so what i say to people is that since there's it, it it's very difficult and probably impossible to be a purist while getting things done for yourself without a lot of help Make your choices thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. For me, this is the most important. Be mindful and push the needle a little bit more towards freedom. Okay, you're getting there now. So, Karen, let's think for a minute. Let's let the listeners just think for a minute. How do we tie this all together into an actual talk? So, Karen, we now have basically an odd cast and more than odd cast and half two and a half odd casts about all this material we've got together yeah. of what we talked about. So how do we like bring it together? 
how does a plan come together like the a-team thing <laughs> plan has to come how do I, mean, uh, I love it when a plan comes together but we have no plan coming together yet right well in making these uh in in making these kinds of uh structuring a talk you have to then take all we we've, we've gone deep into the issue and now we have to take a step back and think kind of meta and sort of structure a talk in the big as the big questions i think i would start with a why are we, why do we want to be purists? Like, why do we want to eschew um, proprietary software as much as possible, even to being extreme? Okay. Why we can't do that? And then we tell our painful stories. Okay. And then uh, where this leaves us in terms of how it influences our ideology, which will impact our path forward. Mm-hmm. And so do, how do we, how do we get people called to action is, is the call to action. I, I did reference this in various places in the, in the abstract about mindfulness being central. Are we, are we just asking them to be mindful? Is I mean, it's a, it's a soft ask to the I audience. Mean, to me, it's not just be mindful, but it's, it's be mindful and push the needle. Just make, make at least some, some choices consistently that take you a little bit out of your comfort zone more towards freedom. So I think we're going to do some of this um, off air uh, from Fifecast, but Faithcast, but I want to think about, can we pick an example that we can actually tell people? I mean, we can't, but let's, let's, we're going to think about this offline and you'll see when you hear the talk, if we, if we found something, but I'd love to take something that we do and say, no one's writing the free software thing of this. Like we do this all the time and there's not a free software thing. And obviously the banking thing wouldn't work because you, you, it's really hard to write proprietary free JavaScript that replaces proprietary JavaScript that you can run. Like you can't do that. Like you can run your own JavaScript that happens to talk to those stuff, which I think people should do more of, but that's kind of a hard project that, and, and wouldn't be that helpful because it would only serve our particular bank. But is there something, I mean, maybe it's the map stuff. Maybe we make a call to do more turn by turn stuff. Eh, maybe not, but something we can grab at and say, this is something we're doing with with proprietary software. Yeah. I like mean, I would, we would say, like to see you doing a project like this and we'll, you know, we'll try to help you as best we can. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to call for, um, for more reverse engineering of IOT devices and of other critical devices. And we're also going to have to call for much better advocacy within corporations. So if you're a developer at a company, you need to be bringing these points to the fact that we don't have any alternatives. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and, and I mean, maybe we can make a call that these, these are a place for, for more FOSS business models, you know, that there's nobody, there's nobody seeking to try and, and build a FOSS business model around any of these projects. Um, I don't know if that's because it's too difficult because I'm not a business person, so I don't know, but. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I think I'd like to see more, um, more products that are not coming out of business models and instead too, coming but, out of community and charitable yeah. initiatives. So maybe the call is really that we, we need, I mean, I've made this call in my talks before and it hasn't worked that well. So I may, maybe it's not any good, but calling for people to be more hobbyist actions, right? And say, people, you need to give a weekend or two to projects that are not things that a company's ever going to pay for, but are essential to software freedom. I mean, can we make a call like that compelling enough that it would work? We'll have to think about it. Stay tuned. Free as in freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of danlynch.org. That's D-A-N-L-Y-N-C-H dot O-R-G. The Free as in Freedom theme music was written by Mike Tarantino and is performed by Mike Tarantino with Charlie Paxton on drums. You can learn more about our work at the Software Freedom Conservancy at the website sfconservancy.org. Conservancy is a 501c3 charity and is supported by your donations. An RSS feed for this show is available from faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot U-S. All episodes of Free as in Freedom 
are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. Previously on Free as in Freedom. We talked about our deepest, darkest, saddest secrets. Secrets. Previously on Free as in Freedom, we were discussing <laughs> the talk that we're going to give at Fosdom. The question is whether this show is coming out before then. Can we start over? Yes. <laughs>